What's up, everybody? All right. So glad to be here with you guys today. It's been a good day so far. Man, worship was amazing. Worship team, it's always great. Uh, man, just does my heart good to, to see these guys up here playing and getting into it. And I really, really enjoy that. that that's awesome. So, uh, man, again, thank you for being here. Um, to all of our members, uh, thank you again for, for being here. Um, we know that like right now is just kind of a weird time, and especially gathering together like this is hard at times. Um, and so thank you for braving the world right now to come and to do this uh, every week. This is huge for us. This is uh, not optional for Christians. Uh, fellowship of the saints gathering together to praise God, to pray, to sing to Him, to fellowship. This is something crucially vital to our souls. And so thank you guys for being brave enough to, to be here today. Thank you to any guests that are visiting, again, and college students. Thank you guys for just being here. Um, like Kyle said, if you're a guest, we welcome you today. We thank you. Fill out that Connect card. So, um, And then anybody watching online, uh, we miss you guys. We know that um, you know, there are health issues going on. We know that it's, it's kind of scary times, and we uh, can't wait for the day that we're all back together uh, again at one time. So uh, we understand. Uh, we don't, um, don't fault you at all, but um, just know that you're missed. And so um, it's a good day to be here, guys. It's a good day to be here. So uh, my name is Jasper, as Kyle said. Uh, for anyone that is visiting, if you don't know me, I'm one of the elders here at New Life Community Church. I also serve as the executive pastor. So uh, I get to preach from time to time. I always enjoy it. Um, I'm kind of getting a reputation of crying every time I do this, so we're going to try not to do that today. <laughs> so um, anyway, we're going to be in Psalm 8, so if you have your Bibles or if you're on a, a tablet or something, your phone, go ahead and get to Psalm 8. Uh, before we do, before we start reading, I'm going to pray just really quick that God would um, kind of be with us in this. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for this time that we have to gather together, to worship you, to praise you, to sing your praises, to pray, to fellowship. We do not take it for granted, Lord. God, we pray that today as we read from your word that you would speak to us through what was written so long ago. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your message clearly. We pray that the Holy Spirit would do a work in us through your word today, God. Please speak through me. Help calm any nerves I may have. Lord, we love you and we praise you in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. So um, anyone that knows me very well knows that uh, I love movies. I'm kind of a movie guy. I love the big screen. And so... Um, I, I just love, that's what I, we do, me and Sherry, just about every weekend on Friday night, we have a little mini date night where we stay home and we watch a movie. So um, I just love it. I love movies. Um, Kyle can tell you it's kind of maddening for him that I cannot remember uh, announcements from week to week. I can't remember what we talked about yesterday. I can't remember what color shirt I wore last week, but I can quote you a movie line from 10 years ago from some B-list movie that I saw one time. I don't know what it is, but but I love movies. And so it's kind of funny, the other day we were having a conversation, uh, it was me and Kyle and actually Mike, we were talking about um, like our top 10 favorite movies. And we were trying to just 
spitball, like what would that list even look like? And of course there were some similarities because we're all dudes, you know, and so Braveheart's like, yeah. But, but we're trying to come up with like top 10 movies and it's so hard to do. And I figured out one of the reasons for that is because there's so many different genres of movies, right? So like, it's, it's really hard if you start talking about comedies, like man, like I grew up during the Adam Sandler era. So things like Waterboy, I mean, it was great back then. But I can't compare that to like Saving Private Ryan. That's, they're just on two different levels, you know? So when you're trying to trim it down to 10 movies, it's so hard to do. So uh, I say that to say one of the movie genres that seems to be slowly kind of fading away is this genre of Westerns. Do we have any Western fans out there? We got a few. Okay, yeah. So not a whole lot of Duke fans anymore, unfortunately, but I think that's what's missing in culture today. We need more Duke fans out there, but, um, and I don't mean the, the basketball team. Um, anyway, in Westerns, my all-time favorite Western, hands down, is Tombstone. Yeah. Okay, all right. I was kind of waiting, like, yeah! So Tombstone is, is by far my favorite Western. I bring that up because um, there are a lot of quotable lines in that movie. Um, I could start asking, and you guys could start spitting them out, I know, but, but there's one scene in that movie that um, people kind of forget about a little bit. So there's a part in that movie where, this is about Wyatt Earp, and it's Wyatt, his brother Virgil, and his brother Morgan, and they move to the town of Tombstone to kind of start a new life together, uh, chasing fame and fortune and riches and all those things. So there's a scene there where they go out to a play one night, and as they're done, they're walking down the street, uh, it's the three brothers and their respective wives, and they're kind of walking through there. And uh, Morgan, the youngest brother, says this line. He says, look at all the stars. You look up and you think, God made all this, and he remembered to make a little speck like me. It's kind of flattering, really. Now, I don't know uh, if the writers of Tombstone, whoever kind of wrote that script and all that, if they knew what they were doing, but that is a kind of a, almost a indirect quote of Psalm 8. Uh, and so when I saw that movie, I was like, oh, man, I've, I've heard that before somewhere. And it doesn't surprise me because that movie is kind of riddled with biblical references. You all know the one about the pale horse, right? That's, the movie starts out with Revelation. They're quoting it. So. But the reason I bring that up, they, they indirectly quote Psalm 8, and that's what we're going to read today. So let's go ahead and read it, and then we're going to jump into kind of looking at what this means and some things about it. So Psalm 8, starting at verse 1. Uh, well, let me back up just a little bit. The title says, How Majestic Is Your Name? To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. So 
by far one of my favorite psalms. It's just beautiful. I mean, I just, I really don't have to say much about it. That's just an awesome psalm. But this psalm is uh, said to be a psalm of praise because it does start and finish with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And it is. It is also thought to be what's called a messianic psalm, which means that it's talking about Christ. So we're going to get into that here in just a minute. There, there are kind of two different thoughts there, and I think it's both. So we're going to get into that here in just a minute. Um, now, to clarify, in that little subtitle, that getteth, if that's how you say it, uh, we talked about this uh, when kind of preparing for this sermon. We always do a little think tank where we kind of discuss the text. And we found out that a getteth is a, it's a musical instrument, kind of like a harp, probably made in a particular region known as Gath, which is where Goliath came from. So this would have been a specific instrument from a specific place. So kind of like Kyle, talk, Kyle talked about last week, when David wrote this and then put that subtitle, that's his way of saying, hey, I wrote a song, play it on the Fender. Like that's his way of saying like, play it on that instrument. So that's what we're looking at. This is a, a psalm of praise, uh, but it is going to be talking about Christ. So, so we're going to just jump right into this. So kind of the, the big idea here behind this that I want us to take away from this today is that God uses what is weak and what is small to accomplish His will. And we know this, this is, we see this idea all throughout Scripture. But today we're going to look at how this works through Psalm 8. So I want to start out by, let, let's try to wrap our minds around, let's paint a big picture of just how big God is. Okay? So I've seen other pastors do this. I think Louis Giglio is pretty famous for, for doing this analogy where you do the zoom out thing. But let's just think about it like that for a minute. If we stepped outside these doors and stood in the parking lot and you looked around, you looked up, you would see beautiful blue skies today. You would see big, white, fluffy, what looks like cotton balls in the sky, and those are called clouds. And what's amazing is that these things every now and then will carry water in them, and then they'll come drop it over you and produce rain. That rain then soaks into the ground to help nourish these things called plants that have leaves. And there's this whole photosynthesis thing. And, and then those same leaves will die and fall off and decompose and produce soil, which the plant needs to thrive. And it's just amazing, the whole process, when you really start to think about how intricate and how detailed the world around us is. And it's so easy because, you know, we wake up every day and we're thinking about different things to overlook this stuff. We're just grown accustomed to it. But when you really stop and think about how amazing it all is, you see just how big God is. And that's just standing out in the parking lot. And another great example, birds. I mean, birds, God gave us these small little animals that sing us music when we walk outside. And how awesome is that? Just this morning when I got out of my, my truck, there's a a family of hawks that live around the church here, and they were just cutting up this morning when I got out of my truck. So, But that's just in our parking lot. If you really start to kind of zoom out and you think about uh, just the United States and some of our famous landscapes like uh, the Grand Canyon and Niagara Falls, uh, the Rocky Mountains, just how big it all is. I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but I've heard people say that when you stand there, it will literally take your breath away. Um, because of just how massive it is. And that's just in our country. When you really start to zoom out, and you think about the earth as a whole and just all the different things, all the different landscapes and the beauty of it all. It'll just, it'll blow your mind. 
And then when you keep going out and you think about, well, that's just Earth, which is just one planet in our solar system and galaxy, which is just one of, of many. And the, the further you go out, the more you realize how big it all really is. It's just massive. It, it's overwhelming. So God is, is huge and in a way that we, we forget so many times. But, but now that we kind of have an idea of how big God is, let's start to look at another aspect of this and uh, see just how truly small we are. So in verses 1, we saw, O Lord, how Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And we saw um, in verse 3 when it says, I'll look into your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars. And so those things help give us that perspective of how big God is and how beautiful and massive and you can't count the stars. But then we look at verse 4, what is man that you're even mindful of him? and the Son of Man that you care for him. You made all of this, and yet you still look at this little speck in it all that is mankind. We are so small compared to it all, if you really stop and think about it. We're just a fraction, just a minute, just a, a grain of sand on the seashore. James 4.14 says that we are but a vapor. Our life is like a puff of air, according to Psalm 144. For he knows we are but dust, and that our days are few and brief like grass, like flowers, blown by the wind and gone forever, according to Psalm 103. We are such a small part of creation, here one day and gone the next. And what's amazing is that even though we're such a small part of it, all we ever think about, all we ever see is right here, right? That, that term navel-gazing. We're just always, just this is all we think about when we're such a small part of such a bigger creation. But God gave us nature. He gave us the moon and the stars and all of this as a way, as a daily reminder of just how small you really are. So that when we look at it, we see like, man, I'm nothing. I'm just a blip in all of this. Now, here comes the, the craziest part of it all. God is huge. We are small. Yet, He chooses to bless us and to give us the privilege and the honor and the glory of being over it all. He says that all of this is ours to tend and keep, that it's all in submission under our feet. So although we're but a, a speck in the grand scheme of creation, God says that we are the crowning jewel of it all. So we look at verse 5 again in our text. It says, uh, although we look at the moon and the stars and the heavens and how big all that is, yet what is man that you are mindful of? And verse 5 says, yet you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You crowned him with glory and with honor. Do I need to just take this off, Josh? <laughs> um, I don't know if the beard is causing interference or what's happening right now. I'll hold it out here. But um, 
Okay, so getting back on track here. Although we're such a small part of creation, which is so big, God gives us dominion over it. He entrusts it to us, this small little speck of it all. He gave us creation. In Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 28, we see what's called the creation mandate. This is what it says. It says, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Now, if you read through God creating it all, creating the earth, creating the the heavens and the stars and the ocean, every time he creates, he does it by speaking it into existence. He just speaks, and there it is. And when he gets done, he says, it's good. But here we see that after creating it all, and then creating man, and placing man over it all, he says, it is very good. So God charged Adam and Eve in this creation mandate, as it is called, with keeping the earth. That was the job given to them, to help it thrive, to help cultivate it. Now, that same creation mandate that we just read about in Genesis is also what is referred to in verses 5 through 8. So I'm going to read that again. Verses 5 through 8 of our text, it says, You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and beasts of the field, birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. So this is just a restatement of what we saw in Genesis, that God has has placed us over it all. Heavenly beings in that verse means, in some translations, angels. Some of your Bibles might say God himself. So God says that, like, look, I'm I'm massive. Here's all this that I made, and you're like this little speck, but I'm going to place you just a little bit lower than me and the angels here and give you dominion over that all. He gives us a great honor, a great privilege, and a great responsibility. He creates us in His own image and crowns us with glory and with honor. There's one rule to follow in it all. How did we end up doing with that? (laughs) Not too great, right? So God takes what is small. He takes mankind and gives them this position of honor and glory. And of course, we're going to mess that up. All earthly things were supposed to be under our feet. We were supposed to rule over them. We were never supposed to let earthly things rule over us. And yet, we did and still do. We create idols. Our pride takes over. It's no longer enough to be with God. We want to be like God. So we see the fall in Genesis 3. That crafty serpent comes and says, did God really say, "And you're not really going to die? And of course, Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and now we have the curse. 
The earth is now going to produce thorns and thistles. The woman's uh, pains in childbirth are going to be multiplied. You see, sin and death and decay enter the world because of the fall and the sin of mankind. Now, God could have easily at this point said, okay, here's all this that I made, and you're like this, but I'm going I'm to give you this amazing opportunity. You messed it up. He could have easily said, okay, you're done. You no longer get to be over these things. I'm no longer entrusting you with my creation. He could have easily said, okay, squirrels, you're up. It's your turn. I mean, they still try today, right? <laughs> um, but he didn't. He actually allows us to continue to be over it all. And as a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 9, he renews this creation mandate. He renews uh, this covenant through Noah. It says this, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So God allows us to continue to be over it all. He, he allows us to, to maintain this glory and this honor that He bestowed upon us. He doesn't make us just another creature. We live in a sinful, fallen world, but we are still charged by God Almighty to tend and keep it and cultivate it and take care of it. Again, we're not doing the best job. The problem is now, the world is different than it was back then. Sin and death and decay have come into the world now. What we really need is someone to come and fix that. We need someone to come and kind of clean it all up and restore it back to its original glory, right? What we need is a Redeemer. Insert Jesus. So God blesses us with this great position. He blesses us with authority and dominion over creation. We mess it up. How does He respond? Not by demoting us necessarily, in a sense. But He blesses us again. He blessed us the first time. Because remember, we're just a, a speck in this all. But He blesses us again, a second time, by sending His Son. John 3.16 God so loved the world, He sent His only Son. He came and lived a perfect life. He lived a life that we could not, that we did not. Hebrews 4, 1 Peter 2, 1 John 3 attest to the fact that Christ lived a sinless life. He was perfect in every way, the way we were meant to be. He came to do what we could not do. And in that regard, He is known as the better Adam, the second Adam. Adam, the last Adam. There was the first Adam. He is the last. He's the better Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, 45-48 says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of the dust. The second man is from heaven. And as was the man of the dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are in heaven. 
Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So Christ is this better Adam. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Romans 5.18 Knowing this, that these verses... And Psalm, knowing, knowing this now, these verses in Psalm 8, they take on a completely new meaning. So now, when we re- knowing that Christ came to be the better Adam, when we read Psalm 8 in that context, look at verse 2. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. Well, that's kind of interesting because in Matthew 21, starting at verse 14, Jesus quotes these verses about himself. He says, this is what Matthew says, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And he answered them and said, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise? So Christ himself is saying that 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 verse in Psalm 8 was about me. The author of Hebrews in chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It's been testified somewhere, Psalm 8, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? Yet you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, He left nothing outside His control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him, but we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He may taste death for everyone. Now, because of Christ's work on the cross, because He did not sin, All things are under submission under His feet, even sin and death that we introduced into it all. He now rules and reigns over it all. He came to redeem the fallen world. When I was studying for this, I I, I used that word and it just kind of struck me that I don't really understand what that word means fully. I, I think I have an idea. So I looked it up. The word redeem, this is what it means to compensate for the faults or bad aspects of something, or to regain possession of something in exchange for payment. Amen. That is the gospel in a sentence. He came to regain something that was lost, but he has to do it at a price. He has to pay for it. And we know what that price was. It was his own life. It was his own body, his blood. Philippians 2, 6-11 through says, Though He was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, a sinner's death, a vile, torturous death. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him 
the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Now, through Christ, because of Christ and what He did, we can be reconciled. We can be redeemed. We can be renewed. Hallelujah. This should make us want to jump and shout this morning. This should make us want to do like David did and dance naked in the streets. And when people look at us crazy, say, oh, I'll get even crazier than this. This should make us want to get together with our friends that, that have experienced this redemption once a week and sing praises to God and fellowship and read from His Word and pray together. This should make us want to go and talk to our coworkers over a cup of coffee about what God's done. should make us want to teach our children the story, the ancient story of Christ and how He came and He, he rescued us from that dragon. This should evoke some praise in us this morning. It should make us want to go and tell everyone that will listen and in doing so create disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the good news. <laughs> and we read it, and just like looking at creation, we read it and we just kind of glaze over but this is why we take heart. Even though we live in a sinful, wicked, fallen, COVID-infested world, this is why we take heart. Because Christ rules. He reigns supreme. He still sits on His throne. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, to things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient. They're temporary. They're fleeting. The things that are unseen are eternal. So now that Christ has come, He's died on the cross, He's redeemed us, He's made all things new, He's put all things in submission under His feet, even death and sin, that creation mandate that God gave mankind in the beginning to tend and keep this earth and watch over it and gave us this position of authority and honor and glory, that now takes on a whole new meaning also because it's not just about keeping this world anymore. One way that we see this kind of change is in some language that some people use that the creation mandate in Genesis now becomes what's called a cultural mandate. It's not just about the world anymore. It's not just about taking care of creation. It's about reaching the culture also. It's about spreading the gospel and the good news of what Jesus did in coming and redeeming it all. We now have an obligation and a, and a, um, a privilege and a responsibility to spread the gospel. Matthew 28 is where we see Jesus give us this new charge this new mandate he says go and make disciples of all nations what's amazing in all this is that remember we're talking about how big creation is and how small we are but yet he chooses us and places us there a little below the angels and himself and crowns us with glory and honor 
We've messed all that up, but yet second time around, here we go again. Here's this new mandate to go make disciples, and he uses what is weak and what is insignificant and what is sinful to do it again. He gives us honor and glory again. He gives us the opportunity to be involved in his work again. He chooses to use what is weak and vile and poor to accomplish his will. Verse 2 in this says, Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. That's kind of us, you know, in a sense, when we're trying to spread the gospel. Um, Acts 4.13 says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God uses what is so small and so frail to accomplish His will so that in doing so, we know that it is not because of that small little thing that this happened. It is because God is big and mighty and powerful. He chooses to do His work through wretched creatures like us so that He gets the honor and the glory and the praise. Amen? So to kind of wrap this up, and kind of recap and think through a few things, worship team, you guys can go ahead and kind of work your way up. I started out telling you guys that Psalm 8 is kind of a, um, it's a psalm of praise that starts and ends with the exact same line. Verses 1 and verse 9 are exactly the same. They say, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So what's really cool looking at the original language in that is that when it says, O Lord, that's his proper name but then it switches to our Lord, which is a possessive thing. Like He's not just God proper, He's our God. How majestic is your name in all the earth? What is man that you are mindful of him? But you crown him with glory and with honor. God has given us a wonderful world to live in. And it's broken, sure. A lot of that's our fault. All of it's our fault. But God loves us so much that He sent His Son to fix it. He hasn't cast us away. He redeems us. He makes all things new. And allows us to still experience that glory and that honor that we so don't deserve. And now, because of the redemption that we can have through Jesus Christ, we have reason to sing. We have reason to praise this morning. We have reason to say, Lord, 
my Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So, if that's you today, if you are a born-again Christian, and you know without a shadow of a doubt that's you, I want to encourage you to praise this morning. Sing to Him. Thank Him for what He's done for you. Thank Him for what He's done on the cross. Sing at the top of your lungs and praise Him for saving you, a wretched sinner. If that's not you this morning, if you can't say with full confidence that that's you, then I want you to know that you can have that. All you have to do is repent, turn from your sins, and believe in Christ. Place your faith and your trust and your hope and your confidence in Him and what He has done, not in yourself. Call upon the name of the Lord today and you can be saved. So we're going to spend just a few minutes. We're going to sing. I'm going to give you a chance to kind of just respond to whatever God's doing in your heart. If the Holy Spirit's moving you, then, then don't ignore that. Sing to Him. Cry out to Him. Praise His name. Thank Him for what He's done. Or if you don't know Him, today is a good day to get to know Him. Make Him your personal Savior because of what He's done. So you guys go ahead and stand. We're going to sing loudly and proudly, and then we'll be dismissed.